Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Nolan Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick, who's enjoying messing with me this fine day. Noel, how's it going over there? Uh, it's going okay. Like it, it's the end of the week, and because I work a Monday, Monday to Friday sort of like job, Memorial Day just threw everything off, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> and so this week just felt super extra long, despite it not actually being long or normal length. So uh-huh. it was just like, oh, Friday can't happen soon enough. Mainly because everything I was thinking I was a day ahead, uh, which didn't help. Um, so, but it's Friday. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like like energetic and excited to talk about a week of television that we both thought was going to be significantly lighter than it ended up being. Um, yep. yep. But um, also kind of just kind of still bummed out and I'm bummed out a little bit. And you know why I'm bummed out. I know and... why you're bummed out. And it's because we're not allowed to do season spotlights anymore. As you tweeted yep. to me. Yeah. We can't because Apparently, unless the show's already been renewed, it just gets canceled after we do a season spotlight. Yeah, these these are shitty superpowers. I would like to trade them back in. Yeah, I, I always wanted telekinesis. I did not want ability to cancel shows by talking about them on a podcast. Clearly, the, the correct answer is teleportation, a conversation for another time. <laughs> However, yes. Uh, so so Underground and Sensei, which, both of which we had given season spotlights to and really d- dove in with and talked about how much we really enjoyed them over the last couple of weeks, both were canceled this week, along with uh, The Get Down, which we haven't come back to for the second half of its first season, um, but was a, a, certainly a show that I enjoyed in the first half season that I saw. Um, so yeah, the one that really th- that stings the most for me is Sense Eight because I felt like it was right. just, it was getting better. Yeah, in its second season and in ways that I didn't anticipate that it would. Like it didn't surprise me that it was still so good at character and emotion and all of that. Um, it did surprise me that it got better at world building and like the rules. Shows don't usually get better at the rules in season yeah. two. <laughs> they normally get worse. Yeah, at the rules significantly mm-hmm. worse. Um, but yeah, so that, that that's been a it was a it was a tough one, man. Like, and just in time for Pride Month. Yeah, that was that was terrible timing on Netflix's part to go like, huh? I wonder. We need to cancel Sense Eight. When's the best time to do that? Let's do it on the first day of Pride Month. Yeah, that seems like a really good idea. Said no one at that office. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if they had thought about that, I think that we they would have been happy to wait longer to tell us because they certainly. Yeah. Have no had no qualms with taking forever to tell us that when it got renewed, you know, for season two. So right. I mean, that's the thing. I was talking about this with some other some other critics, and I mean, I can't fault Netflix for canceling the show because it must be insanely expensive. We, we talked right. about that. Like, right. There's no way this is a show that that earns back its budget. You oh, know, never, and it and it won't ever either. Yeah. Is the other thing like it's pure deficit spending. Yeah. It's the kind of show that that gives you prestige and uh and like buzz and awareness and and brings in a different audience than you are currently, you know, uh advertising to with your other programming, you know, if you're looking for subscribers. But yeah. So so for me, I don't I'm like underground, you know, we aren't we weren't super surprised. No. But Netflix has been throwing <laughs> good money after bad <laughs> for a while. Um yeah. so I was I was a little more hopeful that they would you know, throw good money after good (laughs) 
with Sense8 and maybe to get down. So I don't know. We have to go rewatch. You're right. And I, I think a lot of it just like Sense8 to me feels like a weird cancellation insofar as Netflix's whole global audience sort of thing that they've been like talking about a little bit. I mean, it's the reason why they picked up the crown is that they really wanted to start appealing to a UK market. But then they've also picked up any number of um, K-dramas and J-dramas over the past few years to dive into that market. And when I talked about Terrace House a little bit, I discussed the fact that it's a really good sort of brand extension in terms of tapping untapped markets through their Mm -hmm. service. And Sense8 seems like the perfect way to do that, considering it's all on location shooting, as you and I discussed, and it's a good way to, like, advertise the brand in a lot of ways. But it's also a show that, like, Todd Vanderwerf over at Vox tweeted, probably costs more than the GDP of several small countries. (laughs) And, like, I think an episode for that show is, like, nine million a pop. Which Mm -hmm. seems correct, given everything involved with these shows. Well, and, like, how many times they have to film the same scene to get it with these people, and with those people, and all of the people, and none of the people, and, I mean, let alone fight scenes and such, in the same vein. Yeah, so it's, it's just one of those things where I think they are realizing that they have to start focusing their money. Mm-hmm. And I'm very sad because that's something that's just happening across the television landscape, as a lot of folks were talking about after the Sensei cancellation, was that this is probably the end of peak TV. It was coming down the pipeline mm-hmm. really quickly, but corporate mandates and everything are just going to be a thing because, like, we talked about this a little bit when Underground was, like, when we discussed Underground and just, like, the media ownership of WGN America it was just, like, yeah, this isn't viable for us anymore. And it's not viable for a lot of people anymore. Like, mm-hmm. it's just not going to be viable anymore. And I mean, let's while. be honest, it never was viable. People were right. hoping that maybe it would somehow become viable. It's the old step one, step two, question mark, profit. Um, yeah. It, and I think people are just tightening their belts. Yeah. And so I think that's where it is. And it's going to hit shows like Sensei and shows like Underground probably harder then it will hit, like, something either cheaper, a la, like, The Ranch, for instance, Mm -hmm. um, which is a show I really enjoy, but it's also a show that's significantly cheaper, but also just appeals to a very broader audience, I would say, than necessarily Sense8 does, where (laughs) you just go, how would you, what's the elevator pitch for Sense8 as opposed to the elevator pitch for The Ranch? And how would you sell that basically to someone to get them to subscribe to Netflix? And while I would encourage people to do it for Sense8, I wouldn't do it for The Ranch as much as I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Well, so. I just, yeah, it's just, that is just funny thinking of what that elevator <laughs> pitch would be. Um, the main thing though, like, I better not hear from Netflix announcement of a Iron Fist season two anytime soon is my main thing because if they're going to be canceling some of their most interesting most creative and certainly most diverse shows yeah let's let's also look at where we've taken some significant missteps and hope that those shows aren't getting rewarded when these other shows are that are taking such bigger risks and that are so much more interesting are are immediately you know taken i mean like let's be honest i was surprised that since it got season two I'm grateful yeah. for these two seasons. Thank you, Netflix, for these two seasons. 
but I'm still sad. Right, and everyone also probably went, and even like the Wachowskis and JMS probably went, we're going to get a season three. Netflix doesn't cancel anything. So let's end the way we end season yeah. two, and it'll be fine. And it's just like, oh, oh, that that isn't something that happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, and Iron Fist is a really good point and, like, speaks to stuff like The ran- uh, the Ranch is another, like, kind of broad example of something that isn't doing anything particularly bold and, in the case of Iron Fist, just isn't good. You watched all of it, which is, bless your heart. Uh, <laughs> but it's also one of those things where I think about, like, again, cost. Like, I don't know how much Netflix is necessarily chipping in or paying for Iron Fist when you've got Marvel and Disney covering mm-hmm. a chunk of that as well and how how important that is to their whole Street Heroes brand. So, yeah. whereas, I mean, I still want a Jessica Jones season two in my eyeballs very soon. We'll, we'll see. I certainly, you know, talking about Jessica Jones takes me to uh, the big event for this weekend, which of course is Wonder Woman, which I'm so much more looking forward to after having been uh, introduced to the TV series and now understanding Linda Carter, like getting it, <laughs> you know, which we talked about a while ago on the podcast, but like, I, I was just living for those pictures of the premiere with Gal Gadot, uh, Gadot, mm-hmm. Gadot, 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 Gal Gadot and, um, and Linda Carter looking badass. And I think they were wearing pantsuits or if not, they were just like looking fierce as hell. And I, I was all there for it. So I'm, I, I, have plans. We're going to go see it with my mom and my sister. We're having a ladies movie night. It's going to be awesome. If I could find a women only screening, I would go to that, but I didn't, right. I haven't found one in the suburbs, so. <laughs> I mean, it's almost worth going to Austin for in, you know, June heat. Uh, no, it's not. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. As but someone who's who been in Austin there. in like October heat, I don't want to go during June heat. I've been there uh, during June heat. It was not good. <laughs> yeah, no, my skin doesn't like that. Um, but no, I'm excited too. I'm going uh, tomorrow by myself, mm-hmm. um, as I go to most movies. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm super excited about it. Um, yeah, yeah it, it should be, it based on just all the critical reviews. It should be a lot of fun to see. Yeah, figure cross. No matter what, I'm probably just going to enjoy getting to see uh, ladies kicking some butt, which yeah. I tend to enjoy no matter what. So. Good times. Um, We have been talking too long here at the top, though, because we've got a full week in TV, as we said earlier. We thought it'd be short, and then I caught up with, like, ten different shows. That's hyperbole. I caught up with about five different shows, and we'll be talking about those as well as the rest of this week's TV. So um, let's say you. Shall we uh, head into our week in TV, take a break, and get going? Let's do it. Sounds good. We'll be right back after this.
This week in comedy and reality, we're going to talk a bit about the return of the Carmichael show, Yes Means Yes, and support the troops. Then we'll talk Angie Tribeca. If you see something, solve something. Uh, the Amazing Race had its season 29 finale. That's right. We're going to Victory Lane, so I'll talk a bit about that. And then we'll wrap up uh, comedy and reality with Drag Race, Makeovers, Crew Better Work, uh, which was, oh, so much fun. Okay. Uh, let's. So good. <laughs> <laughs> let's kick things off though of course with the Carmichael premiere uh Carmichael show premiere I should say I didn't realize this was coming back until you reached out to me I like had missed it somehow um yeah usually I'm super on top of that uh, I was very glad to have it back though immediately I was watching these first two episodes and just relishing the the tone and the vibe of this show even if it's not it is very stagey we've talked about this before it's very let's all sit and talk but it's funny and it's necessary and it's so vital especially at this current stage of where we are as a country um so yeah i didn't always like everything about these episodes but i was so glad to see these conversations right i was the same way uh when we were uh, when i was watching the first episode the season premiere proper i guess uh i was just sort of like oh i really missed you show missed Mm -hmm. you a whole lot and i miss the rhythms of their conversations i mean i'm a big fan of the show's staginess and i think it's it's really important to the show's overall form and mm-hmm. approach. And so, but I just, I really enjoyed um, having the show back and having their approach to these conversations and how they tried to navigate each topic as well as they could. More successfully, I think, in dealing with the issue of consent in the first episode than necessarily with like troop support, which felt broad um very very broad in some cases um so the first episode i think worked better for me than the second episode did but how did you feel about uh both of these i thought they were both good um i really Mm -hmm. enjoyed them both i liked the distinct lines that they took within the family in both i always appreciate when they surprise you with where people line up and some of this did and some of this really didn't but i felt it was appropriate um i liked the conversation (laughs) of trying to decide whether dread's brother was a raper (laughs) um or just bad at sex or just bad at (laughs) sex um and and I thought it it had appropriate levels of nuance and also appropriate levels of Gerard just being a dick and not getting it. Such which, a dick. Which is something that I think would have been very dishonest to not include. Um, yeah. I know, I know way too many people who are, you know, like social justice warriors, enlightened liberals, all that stuff, who then don't woke underst- male dudes, woke basically. male dudes, yeah, then who just don't believe me or don't listen when i relate stories of like the the hashtag it happened to me like the different things like that and, and what who don't even seem to try to understand what it can feel like as a woman in this society um you know or at college campuses at different places just the constant background fear or awareness even if it's not an active fear the constant censorship and Am I going to choose to censor or am I choosing not to censor? Because it, it, it's a conversation that women end up having with themselves all the time. And I, I did also appreciate that we got some really terrific writing about how men are then also similarly self-censoring in some ways, just trying to project non-threateningness and the mm-hmm. ways that that works and completely doesn't work. I, I thought that it was a, a surprise, like a much more nuanced take uh, than... like. We've seen this 
conversation on other shows. I thought they did a much better job here than on other shows. And I think this is also one of the more thoughtful approaches to a topic even the Carmichael show has taken. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of it, like you said, has to do with the where everyone falls. And I think the decision to make um, Gerard's brother sort of a weird center of the show in a lot of ways and to facilitate the conversation was really, really smart as opposed to having it kind of be this, well, this thing I read on Facebook triggers this conversation, but it actually, there's a stronger through line in terms of like a personal connection than sometimes they are able to achieve, I think. And I didn't even get upset that like this became sort of a rape story, a um, consent rape storyline that centered around a guy, but because it was a conversation of what did I do sort of thing that makes it takes it to a different sort of level than if it becomes a rape narrative about a guy, but it becomes a, well, was I a rape rapist? (laughs) And I thought that that was a really smart play for them to do and then land it with a really solid punchline at the end was I think also really effective. Well, yeah. And it's also modeling the kinds of conversations that the episode, I mean, I agree with the politics of this episode, which I'm sure doesn't hurt, but um, that this episode is trying to advocate for, which is not just telling women, make sure you don't get raped, but guys, make sure you aren't a rapist. You need to be aware of and thinking about this stuff. And if you aren't, you can put yourself in a situation where you've raped someone without understanding that that's what rape is, which is unfortunately still a conversation that uh, people, including our justice system, people in our justice system don't seem to understand uh, and certainly don't want to engage with. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I thought it was really well done. And for me, with the next episode, I also appreciated that conversation. It wasn't anywhere near as nuanced. But I like that the show went on the record with having Gerard's dad have voted for Trump. Yeah. Like, definitively. I, I liked, I mean, and also, of course, to go back to Yes Means Yes, like, the context of a man accused in court of rape being our president is something that hangs over, like, just like my daily existence as a woman, all the time. Yeah. All the time. And so it's even more, you know, significant that they, I love that they directly address that in Yes Means Yes. I love that they directly address that and support the troops. This is the man who's in charge of whether your kid lives or dies, you know, theoretically, or if we start a war. Um, yeah. If you go into the military. So, like, I, I really appreciated that the show was so, of course, of course, why wouldn't they be, but so willing to directly engage with that aspect as well. Right. And I think that that was the part that worked best for me was sort of the Trump needling. But then the rest of the stuff regarding, like, the reasons for the neighbor maybe going in not being the best weren't, like, fleshed out enough for me in a lot of ways. And he felt very straw manny. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways. So I didn't really appreciate that. And then the whole thing with the dog um, was funny, but it was also just, again, really sort of broad. And uh, it just, it didn't click as much for me. And I also kind of kept going, that is the busiest recruitment office I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> there are never that many people at a recruitment office. Well, are there fresh <laughs> donuts every week at every recruitment office? No, probably not. Uh, but there you I'm go. This is such a busy recruitment office. (laughs) Well, I I get why it's a busy recruitment office because you don't want it to just be an empty stage. But I was just like, this is such a busy recruitment office. (laughs) Um, Did you have any other thoughts that you wanted to get into about these two or shall we move on? No, let's move on um, to Andrew Tribeca's uh, just, oh God, 
I really they did this Blind but... Spot with Lizzie Kaplan, and I loved it. They're killing it with these guest stars. They are. I mean, it was so really funny. Like, I was just like, oh, we're just going to do a quick Blind Spot riff with the opening, and that's going to be it. And then it was just like, no, we're going to do the whole episode. We're going to do Blind Spot <laughs> for the entire episode, guys. And it's just like, oh, this is so good. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, no knife skills. And it's just like, yes, this is great. Um, and of course, so no, it takes two tries to establish right. <laughs> right. So no, the entire episode was really funny. Kaplan, I thought, did a really nice job um, playing bewildered, but also like having a, having a dark secret. Mm-hmm. And so I just enjoyed this episode. Um, but my favorite part, Kate, was Higgins just keeping trying different cans of empty whipped cream tossing it trying another can tossing it trying another can tossing it and it just goes on for like two minutes and i kept waiting for him to break i was just not the man's a pro no the man's a pro but i also have to assume that the reason why we cut so little to kaplan and to jones in that scene is that they were breaking the entire time yeah because how could you not honestly let's just be glad that they managed to get a take with no background audio they had to scrub Right, exactly. And so I just I, I, I just really enjoyed that. But then, like, bringing up Blindspot, I thought was really funny because then the whole thing about her father, which has been running through this, is also just kind of pure blacklist, which I didn't realize until this episode because I had yeah. NBC bad crime procedurals on my brain. <laughs> and I just went, oh, my God, this entire season has been Silence of the Lambs in the blacklist <gasps> type of thing. And I just went, oh, gosh. This season's so good, and their their decision to just needle cop shows this season has just has given them so much. It's been so much better than last season, and like I know that there are a lot of people out there who thought that season two was really strong and was this really entertaining riff on season long dramas and the way in, in, or season long mysteries and the ways that they go wrong. It's like guys, if it's not also funny, yeah, I don't care. And this season, they've been nailing nailing that talk about wonder woman of course chris pratt moving up the chris list with his turn this season <laughs> on uh on angie tribeca um yeah when we you know the 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 coming back to the father and on all these childhood issues the way the last few episodes have i just last season i would have been rolling my eyes because the right. season long arcing did not work at all for me this season i don't really care sure no. yay as long as i'm gonna be laughing as much as i have been every episode this season it's been right. really strong. It has. It's been super strong. It's really like reminding me of the season one gear that they were in. And I'm very happy about that. Yeah. Um, let's move on to The Amazing Race, which had its finale. Uh, we're going to Victory Lane. And they were in Chicago at the end. Oh, cool. So I was like, I, I know where that is. That's fun. I've been there. And I've also been there. That clue means Buckingham Fountain. Aha. You know, it was super duper right. fun. And, like, and also just... Because that, like, never happens when I'm watching TV and movies. Um, sure. But because it's the Amazing Race, you have to run around to these different Chicago landmarks. When they're physically running, I know how far that is. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> that would be a lot of a lot of running. One of the, the first thing that the team that ended up winning did, because they landed at O'Hare, uh, was to get rent lockers and leave their bags there. Because, of course, they're not going anywhere else. You don't need to carry your bag. That is so smart. And they were talking about it in the cab on the way out of the airport. They're like, first thing we do is check our bags. Yep. Mm -hmm. Because we're not going to need it. And now the other teams are going to be slowed down. And then I'm watching them run up and down Michigan Avenue with these like giant backpacking things full of all of their supplies from around the world. And I was like, 
Oh man, you guys didn't you didn't stand a chance. The 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 final challenge was also one of the best memory challenges oh, that the show has cool. done. They went to to Wrigley Field, and okay. they had the list of all the different like mat cities that there right. had been. Um, for, but they were instead of being in order of the the of the route, they were in alphabetical order. And one okay. person was in the uh, the the press box or the where the announcers go. And um, right. it had a one-way microphone or speaker to the, the scoreboard. And the other person had to then take and put, like, replace the numbers in the scoreboard to match which placement in, like, the, you know, the rankings or whatever. People came in, right. what order they came in in the different cities. So okay. it was memory. It was going up and down ladders and stairs to, like, replace the numbers a bunch. So there's a physical element. Um, then there's a communication element because it's a one-way radio. So the other person can't talk back to them. And so there's no way to communicate outside. Like, they figured out, like, hand signals from within the scoreboard. And then it's also this huge landmark of Chicago as well. So it's, like, bringing all this stuff together in a really terrific way. So kudos to whoever came up with that as, like, a final memory challenge for them. All three teams did did really well at that when they mm-hmm. got there. But I think uh, it, was, it was very indicative of, like, they were also very smart about who was talking and who was running, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. And, and especially the winning team. It was like, if they had switched, it would not have been good. <laughs> because <laughs> the, the team that ended up winning, spoiler alert, if anybody is, I'm still listening, <laughs> who, who hasn't skipped ahead to the next section, um, who, who, wants, who doesn't want to know. But uh, the team who ended up winning was that team that I told you about the last time we checked in, where I liked one of the people and not the other one, because the other one right. was whining all the time and t- saying how she couldn't do it and getting other people to help her. And then... Like turning you turning them the next episode and they got eliminated and just being whiny and terrible. Um, but they really came together for this last one and having her be the communicator and him being the to one day the like he's this this ripped CrossFit guy. Um, <laughs> well, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, having him be the one running up and down and it was so funny because of course they had a camera with him, so they so like they'd say she would say which number to do. He's like, yeah, I remember that one. That was that was when we started to turn around and we started doing better. Yeah, absolutely, we were number one that that leg or number six ooh, almost eliminated that kind of a thing. So it was like a fun play by play commentary. It just it, the whole last episode and the last stretch of episodes I thought were much more interesting. Certainly, the best team at the beginning did not win, but that's mm-hmm. not what the Amazing Race is about. It's about yeah. who can make it to the end to be in a position to win. And often, if you are too much of a threat, you end up getting eliminated and that's become more and more the case it's become more survivor-like in that way as the mm-hmm. shows have gone on and we're now we're going into season 30 will be next you know it's it's encouraging to see them pull out such a strong set of challenges at the very end i mean in season season 29 you know yeah. that's not a normal thing for a, like a in this case just a scavenger hunt show so i ended up you know, despite having some issues, I hope they don't repeat this whole they don't know each other until the the first episode thing. That did not yeah. was not worth it. But I did end up actually really enjoying the last handful of episodes. And the jerk faces who I didn't like didn't end up even making the finals. So that was awesome. <laughs> Yay. That is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's nice to be able to have positive things to say about the Amazing Race finale and not just I'm happy that the people I don't like 
didn't win. You know, it was, it was nice to have right. positive things to say. And I think that takes us into Drag Race really nicely because the Makeover's Crew Better Work has got to be the best episode oh. of the season. Yes. And one of the best episodes in a while. One of the, Definitely one of the best Makeovers. Yeah, easily, I think, one of the best makeovers, at least, that I've watched. Uh, so this one had Rue choosing folks from the crew, like, not the crew crew. Not the pit crew, crew, but not the, the crew. crew. The, the <laughs> filming crew. So we had someone from the art department, sound, uh, the associate director, and a couple of other folks come on uh, to, be the dra- to be the sisters that get made over. And it just worked so well, um, mainly because, in no small part because there was very limited hemming and hawing and resistance to a lot of the stuff, which mm-hmm. is like a trademark of these makeovers in a lot of ways. And then the whole, well, coming to accept sort of thing. And we just skipped over that aspect of it this time around, which I think allowed for a lot more fun to happen. And so it just, the episode never felt like it flagged in any way, shape or form. And then we had like some nice discussions about gender definitions and fluidity and that was really cool but then also just a sense of who the people are behind the scenes which i thought was really cool for the show to do and so i just i just had so much fun with this like kate wintergreen and kesha just (laughs) i it was just a treat that kept on giving because i rewatched the episode to like refresh myself um because i watched it like saturday so i need to watch it again before we recorded and i just went it's so funny. Sarge is amazing. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was deeply, deeply funny. I was also really glad to see like Kesha happy. Yeah. Considering no, everything, she, everything she's been going through for like the past four or five years. I was really glad to see her happy. Yeah. See, and, see our discussion on Carmichael show. Yes means yes. Yes, exactly. And also just a system. Yes means yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Since two of her lawsuits were d- decided against her. And mm-hmm. so, it, it was really good to see her, like, happy and engaged. And I, when she said that everyone had, like, the best job in the world, I think she really meant it. <laughs> <laughs> but I also, like, this is also, like, and this is also, like, the first time I've really liked Rue's dress mm-hmm. in terms of, like, when for the, for the, for, runway, uh, the yeah. runway stuff. I just really liked it. And then it was, like, a custom job for this episode. And I just went, oh, that's why. It's really good. And... <laughs> So I just, on a whole, it was just a really, really good episode for me. Yeah, it, like you said, we skipped over the awkwardness right. of people stepping outside their comfort zone and went right, right to the celebration. And yeah, this whole beyond ep- the tucking aspect. Yeah, which... We need some tape. Which was hilarious. <laughs> yes. And appropriate. And because because it's the, the people who were being made over, the, the drag yeah. sisters were all in the crew... The actual filming crew felt very comfortable, like following right. them around and getting in their faces, and like oh, it was hilarious. And, and and that element to like that, there should be some tension there, right? Yeah. <laughs> the other queens did not make their drag sisters tuck, uh, yeah. and so like you know, and and her name is Trinity the Tuck Taylor. Right. So like. That was gonna have to, you know. I, I thought that, that was played by the by the queens and by the drag sisters and by the uh, editors and everything very well. Even just like the scoring, the details yeah. of that came together. The production details came together in a way that they have not through yeah. larger swaths of this season. With a there was a lightness of touch to mm-hmm. to to it that um, would have been nice to see deployed elsewhere this season. Um, but no, it was it was terrific because we didn't have to deal with all that. 
insecurity. We didn't, we, there was still some conversations about like, like, um, misconceptions about drag and all these other things. But like, right. these are clearly people who are very comfortable working around drag queens because that's their job because it's not, right. they're not some strange unicorn, you know, like they're, they're, they already know the Queens. There's already a relationship there, at least with some of the, the drag yeah. sisters. And that just worked so well. I do think that, um, I think that Shea Coulee got a little bit of a raw edit because I don't, I think, I don't know. I, I got the sense from the, what we were seeing in the workroom that she, a significant amount of time was spent just trying to get Bay Coulee to be able to walk. Yeah. And that's part of why the look was so haphazard. Um, there wasn't enough of an explanation, I thought, as to, like, in the, in the shots and the editing. Yeah. To explain why that was not a particularly successful runway. Um, and why, despite it being an unsuccessful runway, there was still such loyalty for Shay from Bay, Um, mm-hmm. which we don't always see in these makeovers. But yeah. on the whole, though, I thought it was really, really lovely. And did, did you get a chance to watch Untucked? No, I forgot. Totally forgot. So tell me about Untucked, because um, I totally forgot to watch it. Listeners, if you enjoyed this episode of Drag Race, which means if you watched this episode of Drag Race, right. <laughs> I highly recommend seeking out the episode of Untucked for this episode. Like, if you don't, you're not interested in extra content and you know, all that stuff, most of the time, I totally get that. But this episode of Untucked has a lot of really terrific extra time that we spend with the drag sisters because when they're on the runway doing the judging we then the camera goes in with the drag sisters and we watch them interact as the queens are getting judged and like finding out who's about to be eliminated and it's really uh it's potent stuff and watch Mm -hmm. you know like the um the conversations that they're having and and especially as people who have worked on the show for a while some of them for five six years this is not a new process to them, but being involved in the show and, and being partnered up with, with these different queens is, makes it so much more immediate. You know, how many queens have they helped pack up their stuff and send home? Like, a lot over the yeah. years. But it just, it, I don't know, they've really captured, the, the editing and everything really captured what that experience must be like. And I thought it was really lovely to see. So yeah, highly, highly recommended. Do you think they can possibly keep this up through the, to the finale? Cause that would be amazing. That would be amazing. I mean, we've got puppets coming up. Um, everybody loves puppets. Everybody loves puppets. So that's coming up and that's exciting. Um, so I hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like for that to be like the case for the next run of episodes. Um, but then we also just need to figure out how to get rid of Alexis. And yeah, that's, that's, that's going to happen this week. Yeah, it's it's got to happen this week because I mean, I, I, I'm kind of I was like kind of with Michelle a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, and I was just like, yeah, it's fine, but it's just it's just yeah, it's hey, we're space whores, give us candy, <laughs> and. <laughs> And that's kind of where I ended up with it. It was just like, this is nice, but it's so boring. Mm-hmm. So no. yeah, well, and and the <laughs> I enjoyed the fireworks between Michelle and Ross Matthews mm-hmm. over that. That was delightful. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was very fun. Um, they should make Ross Matthews a regular judge. I think so too. Yeah, like permanent every episode because yeah. he's really terrific. He, he adds a whole extra element to that judging in a way that nobody besides Rue and Michelle does. I agree with that. Like, I mean, having him rotate with Carson um, just isn't working for me. And It's I just think... highlighting Carson not being as good. 
Right. And that's that's kind of the problem is like Ross Matthews is very good at this, I think. And mm-hmm. I think that he should just stay in that seat. Yeah. And I'd be very happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, now we come to a difficult discussion here, a difficult question. Yeah. What wins your week in comedy and reality? Carmichael show or drag race? Yeah, that, that is tough, but I think I'm going to give it to Drag Race this week. And just, it, it was such a pleasure to watch. And, it was so fun. Uh, that's, that's my choice. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I had to give it to Drag yeah. Race. It was, like, delightful and wonderful to, to see. And I was just like, upload Untucked faster, YouTube. Come on. Because <laughs> Untucked comes out the, the day after. So I was, yeah. I, was usually, I was like, maybe there's a Canadian stream somewhere. Because <laughs> it airs on there's TV always, in Canada. There's always a Canadian stream somewhere. <laughs> Now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in genre. genre i'm going to catch up with doctor who a bit this episode uh this week was the pyramid at the end of the world then we'll check in with american gods lemon scented you i zombie 20 sided die and steven universe which um is it called wanted what is this do you know the name of this string of episodes the episodes are stuck together the trial off colors and lars's head but i believe cartoon network is grouping them with a like a mini series name yeah i think it was wanted I yeah. want to say it was wanted. We're um, going to say I'll, it's wanted and, and yeah. listeners let us know if we're wrong. By the way, I'll double check while you're discussing Dr. Who. We should <laughs> have mentioned this up at the top, but another reason, something that, you know, kind of helping to, to, to put a, a balm on the, the wound of losing sense and underground is of course the Steven universe soundtrack is out. Just super duper exciting. Anyways, more on that in a little bit. First up is Dr. Who the pyramid at the end of the world. So I caught up with Dr. Who this week and um, I really, uh, I'm enjoying what they're doing with this stretch of episodes. I was talking to a friend of the show, Alison Shoemaker, about this. Uh, of course, she's co-hosting the De- Debating Doctor Who podcast now with a friend of the show, Alistair Wilkins. Um, and what she, she had mentioned, uh, I was still behind at that point, that she thought that the show was doing an interesting discussion on aging and death this season with the doctor, where now he's like got a nursemaid who's around and is in charge of you know, bossing him around as pertains to his health. Um, there's, uh, he loses his sight and stays blind, um, which the doctor's never been permanently blind before in its, in the 50 year history of the show to my knowledge, like for an episode or like maybe part of an adventure, but certainly not for like multiples, different standalone stories, or I guess serialized stories. But anyways, the, the point being, um, that's an interesting way to, to look at it, especially with everybody, the viewers all knowing that the re- regeneration is on the way. 
So, so that uh, that discussion of enfeeblement heading towards a you know looming regeneration um, is is an interesting way approach to take, and not one that the show has done before with the looming regeneration. We had with Matt Smith the um, discussion of of aging and do not go gently into that you know that good night um and and some some different like a lot of raging against the dark with with tenant but uh but yeah so to have this so sort of approach has been neat and, and certainly not one i expected or anticipated bill is still amazing and the best and they have this arc that it looks like they're going to do through the end of the of the season now with um this alien race taking over the earth um, but having to have been invited and asked to do, to do it out of love, um, which happens when Bill asks them to save the doctor from a massive bacteria virus thingy um, by restoring his sight. Uh, and then they take, so then they are now, the Earth is their planet. And now we're going to see how the doctor is going to save the day. So it, it's shades of like the end of season, um, season three of the new of the new series with with Martha Jones and and the master and everything but um you know we'll see we'll see how it turns out but I, again I, I like that they're taking this more serialist approach and, and doing something a little different bill is still the best i hope that bill sticks around through the regeneration and um i'm surprised that i didn't hate the stuff with missy normally i'm not a big fan of the master right. or missy um with just the one exception of Derek Jacobi, um, at least in the new series, but um, right, you know, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens with the rest of the show. I'm I'm glad that the season long mystery has not turned out to be who's in the vault. It's obviously the master, and then it was the master. Um, so, you know, I'm just Hint, gonna... it's always the master. It's, well, or Daleks, <laughs> Daleks yeah. are the master, one or the other. Um, I actually did a statistical analysis of the number of time episodes in which the one or the other was a villain or not. Like, cause these are the things I did as in college as a nerd. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that I was enjoying that approach. And, and I certainly like they brought in a new alien threat to be the, uh, the end of the series, the, the season and certainly this doctor's run. I think that's a really smart move. So, um, I mean, I'm not hopeful because my hopes <laughs> as regards Stephen Moffat have, are, are just irrefutably gone. But, you know, sure. I'm surprised. I'm pleasantly surprised to be enjoying it as much as I am. So uh wanted to give it a little bit of time here. Let's move on to American Gods. I don't know how much time we want to give Lemon Scented you, but I feel like there's two things we definitely should talk about. Mad sure. Sweeney and how yes. much how funny it is to watch Pablo Schreiber get beat up by Emily Browning. So amazing. <laughs> and we got to talk about Gillian Anderson as media because... I was loving her as Bowie. I was loving her as Lucy Ricardo, and I was also loving her as Marilyn. And I know that we don't agree on this. So, what's where, where are you at with that? It feels like shtick, and mm-hmm. it's unmotivated shtick. Is the other problem I'm having with it? It's just like, why is she Bowie? Because we thought it would be cool to dress her up as Bowie. That's there's yeah, no that's there's true. no motivation to anything that she's necessarily picking to represent herself as, mm-hmm. and. There was some with the Ricardo stuff, but that's because it was in the book. Mm-hmm. These are new choices they're making, but there's no motivation for any of it. And it's deeply, deeply frustrating for me because I don't know why they're why she's Bowie. I don't know why she's Marilyn. And I'm just like, 
why is she either of these things other than wouldn't it be cool to see Anderson dressed up like this and to have her do a breathy voice or to have her be Bowie. And that's, that's all it is. And that's really frustrating for me. It feels really indulgent in a way that I can't get past. Okay. And Um, that's where I am with it. Um, Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I I mean, she's, she's good ish as Marilyn. I think she's doing a solid Marilyn impression. But I just, I can't get past the fact that there's no reason for her to be Marilyn in that scene. Other than, eh, let's do it. Like that. Well, I like, I like the idea that media, as which they still have not called her media on the show. Right. But this idea, I mean, reading, having read the book, we both know that that's who she's playing, is yeah. ever evolving. And it's not about one presentation or one... Right identity so much as the obsession with pop culture figures right Um, and that i think makes a lot of sense and for me it really works the trouble is you are right they do not have the receipts they have not done the work on screen to explain it and it's this the same idea that's very i thought that she showed up as lots of different people in the book but i could be remembering that wrong um certainly technical boys always looks always looks different because in the books because in the book because um uh, technology is always evolving and changing and they don't seem to be doing that and, and they sort of gave that to media instead um, right. which I think it makes more sense for it to be technical boy but then then you don't really connect to the character in the same way um, whereas I think for me at least I'm I'm still connected to Jillian Anderson because she's Jillian Anderson and she's really good right yeah and I understand the, like Anderson's a big selling point in making sure that there's a through line because she's fantastic, but it's just like, I don't, I don't like this thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your point about technical boy, and this is an episode in which we also meet Mr. World, who's yeah. played by Crispin Glover, uh, really nicely played by Crispin, right? Crispin Glover. I will say so as well. good. it's a very good performance. And I like a lot of the, both his delivery, but also some of the editing and visual effects that they do for Mr. World. Um, as he's like spiraling out basically mm-hmm. and i've really enjoyed all of that and crispin glover is a really really good choice for world so yeah. i really appreciated that how much of this is uh crispin crispin glover being awesome which obviously and how much of this is just the decision to cast him which was very smart yeah no it's very much both of these uh situations and it's just their overall presentation like i like the tiles lighting up Mm-hmm. while he's walking it's just an entirely really good package that they've created for him that hasn't extended to technical boy or world uh, or mm-hmm. sorry to technical boy or media in a lot of ways because technical boy i'm it's so weird because i was expecting technical boy to feel a bit more updated mm-hmm. considering the time period that we are in right now whereas he still feels very he it's a it's a weird kind of smugness i think that doesn't quite fit for me now yeah it made sense like in the time which the book was written i think but it doesn't feel right anymore like i feel like technical boy is a more grandiose sort of we can fix all your problems as opposed to a petulant child sort of thing which is an undercurrent within that kind of mentality but they just emphasize the petulance and i just like it's it's all feeling all the new gods feel kind of end up feeling weirdly one note yeah at least technical boy does and so yeah it was just it was that whole sequence with the new gods just felt really weird to me in a lot of ways and not like an entertaining weird but more of like a head scratch weird 
That's interesting. Cause, yeah, because that scene at the the police station, actually, I really like that whole sequence. And I was yeah. sort of like, why hasn't the show been this from episode one? This is the kind of thing that I needed to see in episode one, episode two. Certainly, yeah. this is something that we could have there. They could have done. I mean, Shadow couldn't have been there yet, but yeah. we could have had a scene like this very early and that would have had me much more engaged instead of just like the the random or not but it's like the rumblings of something with mr wednesday and yes ian mcshane is ridiculously charismatic and perfectly suited to this role but that's not an, that shouldn't be enough that shouldn't be right. enough for people to be satisfied with the writing like how they're going to present this it's like well we'll just trust that ian mcshane's amazing and that if we don't do our jobs establishing the world he we can just get away with it because of his charisma and right you kind of can, but it's mm, you should. These writers should should know better, right? You get diminishing returns on that because it's when I go, wow, I really just want an episode of McShane yelling at crows. You uh-huh. have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the, what? That was pretty fun. That was definitely fun. Um, yes, uh, I also wanted to shout out to Tracy Toms, who I always oh, love. Oh, she's so good and wonderful. I was so pissed. Yeah, I know, and it's just like that whole sequence. It was so, it was so nice that sequence that we got with her and Shadow, mm-hmm. and like just the different the interrogations and everything, and like it, it was great. And then and she's just dead. It's like ah, yeah, fair just enough. Like, you guys, but guys, no, that that was the wrong choice to make, Joe. Um, so we should at least talk a little bit about uh, Laura and Matt Sweeney, mm-hmm. and the fact that I just want a whole road trip show with the two of them. <laughs> Would watch. <laughs> and would watch all the time because there's just such an immediate... One of the things I really like about Laura, um, especially within this episode, but I kind of was talking about with someone else, is just her single-mindedness and mm-hmm. like a laser of focus that she has. But also like this massive amount of confidence that she has in a way that wasn't present in her old life, but she has now. And in part because it's just she's got a one singular purpose. Mm-hmm. But... It, it, the way that Browning plays it is really smart and like I never for a second don't believe this as a motivation as a character choice that's happening and then just to watch her beat the shit out of Mad Sweeney is just like just to let you know the what the last time I kicked a guy in the balls my foot didn't stop until I hit his throat and it's just like <laughs> oh so good well and and to her framing him for murder and like the little smirk on her face that was yes. so good <laughs> But yeah, just their interplay is really good. And I mean, you were talking about like the writing a little bit and, mm-hmm. but their writing for the, these scenes is just really good. And Sweeney's just rampant misogyny uh, is just really smartly played by um, um, Pablo Schreiber. Schreiber. Thank you. Is just, I mean, it's, it's very big and comedic, but it's, it's, fits it works for me and then it's just countered by how quiet generally browning plays laura and so the dynamics of everything are just really really smart and i just i I, i'm glad that there's more of it next week or this week i should say so yeah i'm i'm excited about that not excited about the opening and all the you know unfortunate (sighs) cgi that i mean i I guess they're trying to introduce the white buffalo but i don't know what to do with that sequence because why that sequence yeah, I don't know, because it was like a weird sort of... I initially, I thought I thought it was CGI, and then I just went, oh, well, are we doing stop motion instead? Because some of it looked kind of very stop motion-y, didn't yeah. it? And, but then I was just like, no, we're, we're doing CGI that's just been slowed down a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
and I didn't know what I didn't know what to do with it. I saw like a lot of folks kind of praising it in terms of like how there's a connection between through the CGI, like a connection between the gods and their people because they're much closer together. So they're represented in a very different way. And I just kind of went, no, I think it's mostly because there was no way to film this. Yeah. <laughs> like there was no way to film this basically um, with actual people mm-hmm. in the snow. So we just decided to do CG. But I also think like, I, as much as I didn't really like it, I still like that it felt of a piece of all the other coming to America vignettes that we've gotten. So it felt experimental. It felt um, separate from the show itself, which is how these coming to America vignettes have consistently felt. So I like that aspect of it, but the entire presentation is, I think it's probably the weakest of the ones so far, I think. Yeah, the other ones felt much more directly connected to what we were seeing and why we were seeing it. And this one, I just was very, I was confused watching it. I was like, wait, why are those supposed to be the, like, and ancestors of people or somewhere yes. on the genetic track of why are they so skinny and yet well, also be- moving in that level of cold like that's what i'm thinking about which means you have messed up yeah right so yeah. I mean, yeah, they've crossed the bearing straight what do you want from them yeah yeah <laughs> but i'm just like i feel like they should be more wrapped up or yeah. they should be like i just get that's what i was thinking about I was, you know yeah. it wasn't wasn't really yeah. working and- for me that section in the books, that that part of the book is actually, I think, one of the stronger coming to Americas in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so to watch this kind of like get a little twisted was kind of weird. Yeah. Um, anything you're hoping for in these last three? I'm just excited. It's the last three. Um, <laughs> Are you glad that you're not paying extra for stars now? It's like part of yes. the bundle. Yes, I am. Is that affecting um, your appreciation of the show? By the way, I wanted to ask because that for me that would. Uh, no, in part just because I've liked these last two episodes. I've liked the, I liked last week's episode a great deal. And I liked elements of this episode far more than I liked elements of the previous three episodes leading up to episode four. So I think a lot of it is just, I, I, it's either that or it's Stockholm syndrome has kicked Mm -hmm. in and I'm just kind of rolling with it. Um, but I also think I've just accepted the fact that this is a show that I'm not going to like. So I'm trying yeah. to focus on positive things a little bit more yeah. as opposed to going, oh, why Why are you still sounding like you're scoring Hannibal, Brian? Why are you still oh, doing this? Oh, disagree entirely. <laughs> that's a conversation for another time. The score is nothing like his Hannibal score. But that's a conversation for another time. And if anybody, any editors out there, if you want to pay me to do the work that it would take to do that, I would happily do it. The thing is, no one's going to pay me for the amount of time it would take no, no. to do that piece. Um, but no, actually, I've, I was noticing the scoring in a positive way this this week. I mean, it's... It's different this week than it was in previous weeks. There's a lot more playfulness, I think, in this week. But some it's also I mean, mostly just sound cues as well, because they're, the, the way they're triggering his score sometimes is mm-hmm. still very Hannibal. I mean, again, I just... I, I've very intimate connection with the Hannibal right. score. And I very that. familiar yeah. with it. And this feels very unlike the Hannibal score to me. And it's used in a, for me, it's used in a very different way and telling a very different story than what they were doing with the scoring on Hannibal. But, and I kind of wish it was more taking the thematic approach that they took on Hannibal. Sure. Um, not that I want it to sound like Hannibal, as we talked about with The Good Wife versus uh, The Good Fight. Good fight. Uh, I don't want it to sound like another show. I want it to sound like this show. Um, yes. But yeah, there, I... Yeah. See, now you got me. Okay, that's when we finish. When we finish the season, I will have some thoughts about the scoring okay. and what 
And you can tell yeah. me why I'm wrong, and I look forward to that. And you, can, like, tell, and I, you can tell me why I'm, I'm like, wrong, too. That's fine. I don't have the language to tell you why I'm wrong. Mine's just so <laughs> visceral. Yours is much more like, I have a background in this shit, Noel. Shut the fuck up. And <laughs> that is the correct response to have, I think. But that's that's just kind of like... I'm a very lay person type of person. <laughs> You're transitioning us perfectly into iZombie, because of course we both have a background in 20-sided die which is the episode of eyes over here dungeons and dragons and and role-playing games um we were very excited that they they were doing this how did this episode live up to uh your hopes it's just so fun like it was fun it was another example of like a live brain taking over way too much but i didn't care this time because it was just a fun episode and um even even if the resolution was kind of a semi-foregone conclusion because two of our suspects were recurring characters and it was just like well it's not either of these guys because they like these guys too much uh we're not getting rid of vampire steve and sketch bitch anytime soon so yeah um but so i i took just pleasure in the silliness of everything i took pleasure in everyone eventually getting into the game uh that they do to trigger a vision including clive who of course it's just like, can we have a weekly game? Because that was great. <laughs> and it's just like, of course you like this, Clive. You like Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, yes, no, this is this is really good. So I just had a lot of fun with this episode. And I I enjoyed how things came up, even if some of the stuff doesn't, doesn't quite work. Because it's like, Major, sweetheart, no, you do not reach out to anyone who sends you fan mail. <laughs> <laughs> that is not going to end well. That is no. not a good idea. Um, so, yeah, there are little elements, and a lot of, like, the major stuff is, um, like, approaching sort of, like, I'd really like for Liv and Major to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, they need to do that. They need to have that happen. Uh, but overall, it was just a really fun episode. So how did you feel about it? Um, were you upset at Peyton just immediately assuming she died as opposed to that she has to do three death-saving rolls before she's dead? Obviously. Just, well, she yeah. wouldn't know that, though. And, and right. she would be knocked out, so it's not like she can, right. you know. But, um, okay, so <laughs> I feel like I should preface this with um, you're talking, Noel, to one of the founding members of the Dungeons & Dragons and Gaming Club at University of Illinois. Okay. Uh, I was one of the, uh, we branched off from the sci-fi club of which I was president, secretary, treasurer, many things through my seven years in Urbana-Champaign. Um, so obviously I enjoy role-playing games and right. I many, many a fond memory of, of gaming until two in the morning and then going over to IHOP. One time I had to uh, bribe somebody in our group with in-game gold to get them to go because they were being a spoil sport which was fun. One time I still remember the game play where I just disintegrated somebody under the table. Cause I was tired of their blatant lies. And I mm-hmm. pissed off my whole group. <laughs> Cause I was like, Hey, chaotic. Good. That's the chaotic part. You know, we got, I screwed oh. up the whole session, but if we got chaotic things moving, worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, so I was of two minds with this. I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was cute, but I couldn't decide I kept going back and forth as to whether the writers and director um, actually know gaming and know yeah. D&D. Because the specificity of the roles I thought was interesting. And, like, no, there were no zero, there were no ones, there were no um, 20s, there were no crit success or fails. Um, but they did, like, when it was, a, they would show, like, a, 
a 12 or a 13, and that would be, like, a pretty decent, and then they'd have, like, an 18 and a 19 on the big, like, which, listeners, if you don't know, like, like Major rolls a d12 at one point for damage, and he gets a 12, and he's like, yeah, because that's the most damage he could possibly have done. Like, so there's, but there's some... no modifier added to it. No. Add... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, anyway, so there's a yeah. clearly an awareness there, but then the way that Liv was, like, actually, like, the dialogue that they gave her was like, you realize nobody actually does that. That's not how it works. And that doesn't actually make sense. And to, I, at a certain point, it feels like it goes beyond loving tribute to parody and mocking and yeah. like the kinds of stereotypes that are not true and get very, very tiresome. Like when you tell people that you enjoy Dungeons and Dragons. So like, I could, I don't know. I, I enjoyed the episode overall. I thought it was fun. And I ended up, I think on the side of, you know, it was cute. Yeah. And and so and, and I always will enjoy any of those episodes where they get everybody around a table. Community did one, of course. Uh the Freaks and Geeks has one of their best episodes is, is the Dungeons and Dragons episode. Um but and, and of course on Buffy season seven, there's a fun fun little bit of that as well. But um yeah, I just I sort of I would have liked it if 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 they would have done a more honest actual like this is like it, it just felt like a very heightened and fake brain you know like elements felt right on and elements felt very phoned in and so that's i was of two minds about it do you have any thoughts on that well no i agree that like liv's uh dming just feels a little weird um well but also just her like i walked do i walk to the door it's like that's you just you walk to the door and then you find out what happens based on what you don't roll to decide if you're gonna walk that's not how it works yeah, no, I, I think that the, her the way that she acted on the brain with it was just kind of a little much. Mm-hmm. And they just wanted to, like, ow, emphasize, like, the brain being a gaming. And that's what I meant by, like, the, the brain being broad and taking over in weird ways. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, no, that, that kind of stuff I just didn't, don't think worked. Um, but, again, it was the larger parts of the episode overall, for me, made up for that. Mm-hmm. And I was willing to just roll with that kind of a thing. Um, so I, I totally understand where you're coming from, and I don't disagree either. Yeah, but like the interpersonal dynamics of the of the of the gaming group, I thought were really fun. And yeah. oh my goodness, as the die rolls, the soap opera of the the, the Dungeons Dragons Club. Like at one point, I made like a in college, I made a uh, flow chart of the mm-hmm. various romantic entanglements of our like twenty to. 50 person D&D group at various points depending on the oh, year God. Yeah. it was insane so all of that back and forth like it was like yup that is true that is correct <laughs> that is an appropriate you know way to go um, and, and yeah bringing incorporating people that we're familiar with um, from the station I thought was also a really smart move so I ended up having fun with it yeah poor vampire Steve's not going to be vampire Steve anymore he's going to find a different reason different persona to adopt now <laughs> Well, I, I might be up for that, you know, given given the commitment to Vampire Steve. Who, who else could Vampire Steve become? I look forward to seeing what they come up with. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to Steven Universe, because I had forgotten oh, that we had four uh, episodes headed our way. We really, like, stuck together. Uh, we what did. did. you think of the trial off colors and Lars's head? Oh, God, Kate. All of it was so good. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't even need there to be a song. That's how good it was. Right. No, it, it was like, I, I, I was just like, the trial was fine until like the last two minutes when it just went, guys, we need to interrogate this idea a little bit. And I just went, oh, oh 
God. There's layers now. Mind blown. Mind blown. And then it was just, and then I was just like, I enjoyed like their escape and then them meeting some of the off-color gems. Um, and then I thought they killed Lars and I couldn't breathe for like 10 seconds. And then I just went, you start licking that boy right now, Steven. <laughs> you start licking him. Yep. And, and now he's pink and now, lion Lars. And he's lion Lars. And I can't, Kate, I can't tell you how, like, excited I was about Lion Lars. Like, the Mm -hmm. entire concept of it just really excites me. And I loved the realization of what it was. And I liked, even like the representation of there being a new tree island. Yeah. And it was, it was just, it was all really, really good. And I like how this created, in a lot of ways, a really great arc for Lars. And that just, including, like, the Swiss roll, um, Mm -hmm. paying off, like, the Swiss roll episode, but also paying off, like, a lot of Lars stuff that's built up over the past four seasons. And it was just, it was so good. And I just, I want all of the off-colors to come to Earth and hang out at the barn. And just, oh, I'd be so happy. Just Um, hang out and have, like, Thanksgiving dinner again, like, next year, you know? Yeah. And, um, have, have... Stephen's Stephen's uncle get used to a giant caterpillar. Yeah, Jim. <laughs> yep. Yep. <sighs> okay, but uh, so, how did you feel about all of this? And um, also, who is your favorite off-color gem? Um, I think my favorite is the gem that's two. Okay. Yeah. I think which like the other ones I are also pretty great. Like the 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 timing for the um. The sapphire. Non-sapphire. The not oh, sapphire was, was so good. <laughs> very well. That editing was so yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and even just like the design and everything. But um, I, yeah, for me, the, the I was most surprised by and interested in, and and, and the, I like this idea of potentially there being gems and types of gems that even our heroes, the crystal gems, have not met before. Yeah, and and what that. What potential that gives, like upcoming episodes, but see, like I did, I did not think we would be going, like actually going to Homeworld. So when we yeah. actually get there, I was, I was, I was flummoxed and was like, oh, this is really, really cool. <laughs> and the trial, like I can't decide which diamond I think set, uh, set pink diamond up because like yeah. it would be more obvious for it to be yellow diamond, but maybe that's why blue diamond is so emotional because about it because. She thought she was setting Pink up for, like, a fight, but, but of course, Pink would win, so that's why she's so desperate to know exactly what happened, because it, the plan went wrong. Like, there could be so many different things, and it's fascinating. And I, you know, I thought the voice performance from Amy Sedaris was, was a lot of fun. Certainly happy to see her pop up in the universe. And, yeah, there's just, there's so much here. It's so yeah. dense, and there's so much more that they can explore. The idea of coming back, like, I don't know, a season later, and Lars is like a badass fighter <laughs> in the caves of Homeworld. Yes, here for it. Um, I like that they solved the problem of uh, he's gonna die, humans are super super fragile, and also they need to eat all the time. They yeah. solved that very, very efficiently with this whole pink thing. It would be nice if he could go back to being human somehow at the end of all this. Uh, I kind of doubt that'll happen, but yeah. um, it would be nice. Um 
but certainly it, it was, I think, uh, an excellent combination of, of humorous and like funny and, and lighthearted with uh, some really serious emotional stakes. The stuff with Lars and, and Steven was like very, very well played. Like we were talking about before and when we previewed Stuck Together, the choice of it being Lars was terrific. Uh, just getting a whole new corner of our world opened up and opened up to Steven without anyone else there to give him context like yeah. without um, any of the crystal gems there to give him context i think worked really really well and i can't wait to see what they do next and and steven's back and they could just you know and the fact by the way we get there and it's not just the crystal gems but it's it's his dad and it's connie too i was like yeah that's right that's right connie's got her big ass sword and she's gonna go kick some ass and save her friend um yeah the it was just it was really terrific like we could easily just have a have like an episode about onion next, and I would be happy probably. Right. Um. Or they could immediately dive back in, and um, that says so much about this show, and the world that is created that I would be equally happy with either approach. What about you? Well, I feel like they can't leave Lars alone. I don't think Stephen will want to leave Lars alone. Mm -hmm. Is the thing because I mean he's doing so much to save him in Stuck Together, and um that episode like we previewed is just it's still really good. Like it just ends up becoming like a weird sort of footnote in comparison to everything else, even yeah. though emotionally it re it resets, well not resets, but reiterates uh, the personality difference. That's really important for the end of this four part story mm -hmm. of Steven's optimism and Lars's pessimism and his insecurity and Steven's, general confidence but also the fact that he's just like i just kind of want all this to be over i'm ready mm -hmm. for this to be over and how he's going about that is self-destructive in a lot of ways uh because yeah. it's very obvious what the diamonds will do to him <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so he knows that um but he's doing it to save other people but i mean it's also you because of things like um lion part lion four mm -hmm. it's just like i'm i, I just want all this done I'm ready yeah. to, I'm ready for this to be done. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's really good. And so having it paid off in the sense that Lars gets a new perspective and a new realization and also just a new existence, um, I think really, really pays off. But I, like I said, I don't think Steven's going to be happy leaving him there. And so if they do an onion episode next, it's fine. But I, I, I feel like there's there has to be a point at which we go. All right, well, we have to go get figure out a way to get Lars back um, somehow, and I, I don't know what that answer is um, because interesting. Like, well, like Lion Lion got really tuckered out going to the moon. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think yeah. there's any way that they can go get him. Right, there's no way. Soon. Right, there isn't. But I feel like there needs to be like consistent. I I want like kind of a consistent conversation happening mm. about it at least initially. A plan. Like, yeah, and or like some sort of approach that they can mm -hmm. start taking to get back there because it's like they can't pull Lars through himself as we out <laughs> hilariously. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, but yeah, I I I I just want follow through on it, like at least for a couple of episodes at the very least. But it's it was just so good and really emotional, and I liked how I liked the lawyers um, mm -hmm. and. I, I, I like your I like your thinking about either of the diamonds and don't even go to White Diamond. <laughs> yeah, of course. Who's <laughs> not there? Why isn't she there? I, that's a terrific question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, and I mean, 
I, I just have to imagine that White Diamond is like the diamond. Is White Diamond a fusion of the other diamonds, seeing as white should be the collection of all the colors? That's an interesting thought. I hadn't considered that, and now they can't fuse anymore because Pink Diamond's dead. Yeah. Huh. That's an interesting idea. Because, I mean, within the homeworld, the only the only gems that get to fuse are like gems. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's an interesting question. I don't know the answer to that. Hmm. Let us know your theories, listeners. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure this is something that's already been considerably debated within the Steven yeah. Universe fandom. And <laughs> we're just coming a, to this is not a bold theory. <laughs> we're just coming to this now, and mm-hmm. any major like Steven Universe fans are just like, You you idiots, we've already dismissed this theory like four months ago. <laughs> Here's why. No. Um you Johnny come lately. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a really that's an interesting idea, but I don't know. I feel I feel like there was at least a setting for White Diamond at the table yeah, that they were at. There was. So I don't know there that was. she would necessarily be a fusion, but I and like that idea. Seen, and we also haven't seen any White Diamond like other gems, things. right? No, we haven't. And the most we've seen of White Diamond is her depiction on the moon base, and that's yeah. basically been it, I think. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know, but. It's an interesting theory, but the whole expansion of how Pink Diamond died, I thought was really good. And mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm really excited to see what the show is going to do with this going forward. But like you said, if we just get a couple of like weirdo standalone episodes, the show's in, the show has come out of like season four uh, d- with the premiere of season five, with which is what these four episodes are. Just really, really strong. And I was... Yeah, I'm just, I'm very excited. Yeah, well, there's not a lot of uh, question here, but what wins your week in genre? Yeah, as much, like any other week, it would have been the iZombie episode just because of how fun it was. But sorry, iZombie. You the just the have, Steven Universe award the, goes. The Steven just, Universe goes to Steven Universe. So yeah. it could not go to Steven Universe this week. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do you have a particular episode or just the whole, all four? Um... I really like the the. I, I just really like the two hit combo of off color and Lars's head. I think yeah. those are just like two of the strongest episodes they've done in a while, mm-hmm. and just like you were talking about, like the the different sort of binary concepts that are presented within the off color gems is just fantastic, and just it's there it's such a rich tapestry of a show, and I could not pick both of those for that, and then just the sheer emotionality and mind-blowing of and giddiness of Lars the lion (laughs) Mm -hmm. i think you summed it up beautifully so i will just co-sign on all of that and also say off colors and Lars's head and we'll wrap up our week in genre there and i will take a break and come back with our week in drama
this week in drama, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Americans finale, the Soviet division, as well as uh, like just this recent stretch of episodes. Uh, I will talk about The Leftovers next week. I also caught up with that. I love this show so much, and it's bonkers awesome. And, like, like this is a show, Noel, where a character dies and goes to, like, the afterlife, an alternate dimension, his own head, who knows, multiple times. It's like a recurring plot thread, and it's mm-hmm. amazing. I, if you ever catch up with The Leftovers, I look forward to your thoughts, because it's such, like, it never apologizes for this stuff, but we'll talk about that. I'll talk about that, I should say, next week. You're going to talk about Still Starcrossed, because you watched the premiere of that one in Fair Verona, where we lay our scene. We're both going to talk about Mary Kills People. I watched Bloody Mary, the first episode. You watched Bloody Mary, The River Sticks, Wave the White Flag, and Raised by Wolves, the first four episodes. And then we'll round things out with The Handmaid's Tale, Jezebel's. Um, so first up is The Americans, and I'm going to keep this pretty short. Um, I caught up with the last, like, five episodes of the americans i apologize for that why do you apologize for that i well, because you're not keeping up with it because we don't discuss it every week well yeah but you know i could have been and i think that also speaks to where it has been on my list of viewing where i knew when i got to it i would really enjoy it but i didn't feel mm-hmm. an urgency to watch it that like in that moment and i also think it's a kind of show that i do enjoy watching in a marathon uh okay. it, it's very dense which can make it that difficult viewing but it also means that then i don't have to like reimmerse in the world and remember what's going on with, with some of these different characters when i just mainline it i probably don't appreciate it as much as if i sat up with it for a week in between but yeah. uh, i did enjoy a lot about what you know sort of went down in the last stretch of episodes here with the americans there's a lot of really um emotional powerful stuff with you know there's they find a former um nazi uh collaborator who you know had, had did they go to argentina no <laughs> who had <laughs> who had um faked a new identity and moved and married a, an american officer or soldier and then ended up in the u.s under a different identity the the husband didn't know about this at all so that was a really intense scene in the last couple of episodes there's been some really great stuff really great stuff with Paige. Um, you know, like never have I been more excited for someone to walk into a parking lot <laughs> as in this finale where she is able to return to the parking lot where she and her mom got mugged. Um, <laughs> muggers don't, don't mug Elizabeth Jennings. It's not going to end well for you. Um, but they didn't know. <laughs> and Paige didn't at the moment either. So, um, but anyway, so she, then she, and she goes to her car and she drives off in that lot and it just shows so much. Um, strength from her and how far she's come since being terrified um, of that, you know, a near attack on her and certainly on her mom. Um, there, the stuff with Henry has been really interesting and I thought a really surprising way to go because they set up that he's been doing really well at school and so then he wants to go to a boarding school and it's like oh convenient way to write the character off right you could bring it back because we don't do anything with him we don't do anything (laughs) with henry anyways and it would be very you know like they would still see him every you know however many months when he came back from school uh but you know like that would be a convenient reason to explain why he's never on screen and then they undo it. <laughs> because, oh, okay. And they, then, then they say no after they've given their okay because another teen that they're, like, someone that they know through a mission um, 
tries to kill himself, and of course that makes them want to hold on to uh, their son like even tighter, and rather than let him go off to school and just assume he's going to be okay, um, which is very natural and makes a lot of sense. But like, so there's there's been some really neat stuff going on with these different threads, and I thought some of them came together very nicely in the finale. I do think um, I still don't care about this stuff with Oleg. I just I just don't I just don't care about Oleg. Uh, I'm trying to, and I still haven't connected with that character all these seasons uh, along now. Uh, there, a little bit with Martha, which was okay, not great, but okay. Hopefully it's going to leave some more interesting. And um, the stuff with Stan and Renee, I think is, is interesting. And because Stan Beeman has a new girlfriend. And, right. And is she KGB? Or not, and the show isn't tipping, isn't telling. But Philip really is concerned that she is, and he doesn't want to see happen to uh, Stan what happened, what he did to Martha. And right. so, like, especially after going through that with Martha and some of these other things, so the way that 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 experience is shaping them, um, these characters as we go along, I think they've done a, of course, a terrific job with that. Uh, that's always been a strength of the show. So getting into heading into the last season, next season is the last season of the show. Um, we have a Philip and Elizabeth who want to go home to Russia, but can't because one person that they have a connection to through one of their aliases just got promoted to be in charge of the Soviet division of the CIA. So it's like, Oh yeah. Not going home anymore. Not leaving <laughs> anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but having them have made that decision and then not be able to follow through on it um, is is should lead to some interesting material next. And also just where we are in the timeline. Uh, where are we in the timeline? By, the, by the, the, the the open mic, hot mic thing with Reagan is, okay. is where we're at. So, like, there's not that much time left for the Soviet Union, depending on if they do any time skips at all. Right. Because, I mean, they still have some time. They have some, but, but yeah. not a lot. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting. That's certainly okay. like they certainly are setting themselves up to have if they want to to have the finale. You know, the timing of the Coincide. finale be be very deliberate, which is not a coincidence, I'm sure. So, um, sure. yeah, they're, they're, I thought it was a not the best season of the Americans by by quite right. a bit, but certainly a solid one. Oh, I also really like what they did with Pastor Tim and the way that that relationship with, with Paige developed and where that ended up. I thought there were some really beautiful sequences, certainly the one where they're developing, for the people, listeners who watch the Americans, the developing of the photos of Pastor Tim's journal where he's talking about Paige and just not her not even being aware of how much pain she's in and how she's going to have a hard time trusting anyone ever again and all these different things like such a beautiful raw moment for for that character and for the the parents you know watching like reading these this external perspective of their daughter and what they've done to their daughter and is he right is he wrong you know and and her hoping desperately that he's wrong you know and all this like the the layers of that the and that sequence was of course just another killer sequence from the Americans. Um, overall though, there are still like, I'm having some issues with, with certain corners of the show and hopefully it will tie up in a satisfying way. Or why have we been spending all this time with Oleg? Um, so that's where I'm at with the Americans right now. <laughs> okay. No, um, I, was, I was really curious about how you felt about a lot of this because like what little I saw of it in my Twitter feed was basically just like, this was an okay season. And um, I think I saw a, a couple of folks being like, this this was fine, but it also felt like for them like really like place setty. 
yeah for next season and so there's just like this was messy ish but uh, needed and yeah so i was i was curious uh, about how you felt about it yeah i don't think it's a coincidence that the season i was able or i ended up letting so many episodes right catch, and that's why know, i was back catalog yeah. yeah like build up yeah um so we'll see what happens next season but i've been talking too much you talk a little bit about uh, the still star-crossed premiere on the CW. What's the premise ABC. here? It's on ABC. Oh, it's on it's ABC. On a- I, I just ABC. assumed that was You're on thinking me. of Star-Crossed, which is a different yes. CW show That's that got canceled. That's a different... Yeah, that was yeah. the one with Amy yeah. Teagarden. You're right. Um, yeah. So, so well, tell me about Common Still Star-Crossed. Mistake. All right, so Still Star-Crossed um, takes place after, but not really after, but after um, the events of Romeo and Juliet. Um and it deals with the fallout of both of them dying um and what the Montagues and the Capulets are forced to do after that except for the fact that the first half of the episode is let's quickly recap the last act and a half or so of Romeo and Juliet for everyone (laughs) and it's a very quick all right Mercutio's dead Tybalt's dead all right now Romeo's on the run now Romeo's uh, still on the run, but Juliet's faked her death. Romeo's there. He thinks she's dead. He's dead. And Paris is dead, but not really. And <laughs> yes, Paris isn't dead, everyone. In and 20 minutes they're doing this? Yes. And so they do all of that in like 20, 25 minutes. And it's exhausting. And it's just sheer mess. And it speaks to a lot of the other problems that are happening with this show is that it's very half-baked. It's even less than half-baked. Um, there's not really a super compelling reason. So what ends up happening is that the new prince for Verona um, comes in and is and basically goes, all right, we're going to do what they did, but we're going to do it publicly because we've got enemies outside the gates ready to come in, mm-hmm. basically. They're just like, the Medicis are coming. We need to get prepared for this. And we can't have the two of you causing these two families causing problems anymore. So Benvolio and Rosalind, you two are going to get married and we're going to solve this issue right here and now. Uh, to which everyone goes, uh, no, except for <laughs> uh, the, the Lords Montague and Capulet played by um, Grant Bowler and Anthony Stewart Head, respectively. Um, and both of them just seem incredibly bored. Mm. <laughs> um, so Rosalind's our ostensible lead in all this. And the woman who plays her, whose name I can't remember off the top of my head, is quite good. But there's there's nothing in this show worth recommending. It's very underwhelming. Um, no one speaks in verse, which is really distracting to me. <laughs> um, and there there's the, the other issue of a half-hearted attempt at a love triangle in which neither Benvolio or Rosalind want to get married to one another, but they're going to have to figure out a way out of it. But Rosalind and the prince have a past relationship with one another, but he can't... Yes. Guys, smack my damn head. Yes, yes. And they even had a balcony scene in a flashback to tell you exactly how hackneyed this show is. Yes. Okay, listeners, I was going to watch this because I had a little extra time before recording, which never happens. And and Noel was like, no, no, no. Just, like, do anything else, Kate. Do it. And thank you. Thank you (laughs) for that, Noel. So, I... Other listeners, the other thing I told Kate when I told her to go watch or do something else was I have a way to save Still Starcross. And here it is, is we go through all of this with Rosalind and Benvolio and we cover all our ground. But then at the end, Hamlet shows up 
And he's just like, guys, yes. no, it's not the Medicis you need to worry about. It's this guy named Lear. And so basically what I want is, to, still, is still Starcross to become, once upon a time, Shakespeare edition. And it would be amazing. And I would watch all of it. Um, so, but because I just thought, well, like, we can have Iago be the big bad, but then we don't know what he wants because that's what Iago is. We don't know. And just all of this stuff. And, and Lady Macbeth's killed off Macbeth because he's just too wishy-washy. But she's in league with the three weird sisters. And just, mm-hmm. I have so many good ideas for a much better version of this show, Kate. Yeah. And it would be amazing. And then we can just get really confused by there being 80 different Rosalinds. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely watch that, at least for a while. Um, and now you just make me want to go back and rewatch Slings and Arrows, because why wouldn't right. you? Um, why but, wouldn't you? Yeah. That's a, just, that's a much better, much more entertaining and interesting version of the show. Yeah. Um, we'll but yeah, so keep us surprised, you... listeners, if that happens. Which yeah, I it's not going to happen. ABC though. Yeah, but I don't think it's going to happen. But um, yeah, Kate, don't watch it. If you were considering watching Still Starcrossed, I wouldn't recommend it. Or maybe just dive into the second episode and see what's going on. But I'm also just really concerned that like Paris and Lady Capulet are like having an affair because I don't understand why Lady Capulet and the nurse and then Rosalind's sister are healing and treating paris in secret i don't understand that like they're behind a hidden wall there's a staircase and it's just like why are you doing that exactly yeah yeah so there's something weird happening don't yeah yeah and that's the thing it's like it doesn't matter it's just intrigue for the sake of intrigue and they don't do enough to like establish rosalind benvolio is barely defined in this Mm -hmm. premiere uh i and so it's just like why are we doing any of this yeah. So, yeah, it's just a big mess. And we should talk about something else now. Well, because, you, you yeah. transitioned us nicely. Why are we doing any of this? And this is just a big mess. We're talking next Mary Kills People. And right. um, that might be a little harsh to some. I saw that this mostly, I thought, got some pretty positive write-ups and, and uh, buzz. Um, this is a Canadian series that is airing on Lifetime. It will aired finish. on Lifetime. Yeah. yeah, it's had its finale this, this past week. Um, I checked out the first episode. You watched the first four you yep. w- waved me away from the show, but I was like, it was my idea to watch the show. The least I can do is watch the first episode. <laughs> I intended to watch two or three, and then, hence why I had extra time today. Um, and, and then, it wasn't, wasn't very good. Um, I'm a big Caroline, uh, sorry, Caroline Davanas fan. Um, of course, she's the, the lead of Wonderfalls, and she was Alana on, on, on Hannibal, and she's done many other things, and she's a very talented actor. Um, and this is a show about a doctor who moonlights as a euge- uh, a, a euthanasia, somebody who gives who does euthanasia engages in assisted suicide. Engages in assisted. Su- thank you for saving me from that. Um, You're welcome. Horrible sentence, turn of phrase that I was definitely getting lost in. Um, so this should be an interesting show, discussing life and death and morality and all these different things. And instead, it feels like the most standard anti-hero drama that I've seen in a while. And I guess I'm supposed to be excited that it's an anti-hero drama about a woman, but I just, I'm bored. And and even my enjoyment, my, my affinity for the lead here for Davinath is not enough to get me to tune into more than once. So you watched four, which right. Domini Domini bless you for that. Um, why, <laughs> why? And what did you right. think? Well, 
here, here's the weird thing that I was talking about it when I was talking about it with a couple of other people is that this feels like a 13 episode show, but we're starting at episode six. Mm-hmm. And because everything's like super heightened and like happening really quickly. So to like give listeners some sense of like what's happening in the premiere is that she gets she gets told about a patient who's uh, have some sort of um, brain cancer, something happening. And he turns out to be an undercover cop. Because and of course he does. Because of course he does. Because apparently this is weeds. Yeah. And, um, and, when do we, and when do we find out he's an undercover cop? No. At the end of the first episode. Well, immediately after she slept with him, which is right. the first person she's slept with since she got divorced. So she doesn't normally do this kind of thing. Right. But she does it with a guy who has brain cancer. So judge and... her somewhat, but not too much. I mean. Right. Right. So, but we find out that. And then the episodes progress. Like episode two, she finds out he's a cop. Okay. That's a choice. Okay. That's a choice. Episode three, they're kind of hanging out a little bit. Episode four, he's giving her shooting lessons. Are they sexy shooting lessons? They're very sexy because they have sex again at the end of episode three. And yes, exactly. It's like all of this feels like buildup that should have been paid off basically in the previous six episodes. But we don't have time to know any of this because on top of all of this, we've got a daughter who's engaged in a same-sex relationship with the daughter of the girlfriend of her ex or of her father, which mm-hmm. is fun, and who's who, blackmailing our lead character, who's who's semi-blackmailing our lead character because they know about the they find this um, pentothal that they use for the uh, assisted suicide, and then the cops are closing in. Mary's kind of unsure about everything. Then there's the drug dealer that they get their drugs from, finding out about the fact that there's no reason for these people to be getting these drugs from us because they're just used for killing people. So what are they doing with these drugs? And now he wants a cut of their assisted suicide stuff and he's blackmailing them by threatening her family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. To your point initially is that all of this feels really tired at this point. 10 years ago, it might've been kind of more compelling and fresher and just there's value in the representations of this as a, as of assistant suicide as a choice. And they're very adamant about Mary's whole perspective on this of uh, this should be a choice. I would like that I'm assisting in this, even though her motivations become kind of clouded a little bit starting in episode four. Um, and I probably would have had more information on that if I had bothered to watch the other two episodes, but I was also catching <laughs> up on good behavior and I thought that was a better use of my time. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, it's not good. Um, and I was really frustrated by that because everything feels cranked to 11 immediately with no buildup. And then there's consistently still no buildup to anything happening. And yeah, it was just, it's a messy, messy, sloppy show. And I was really frustrated by that. Yeah, instead of watching more of this or watching Still Starcrossed, I watched most of the first episode of The Keepers, and it was very good. So I'm going to watch more of that. And (laughs) listeners, I do not recommend that you watch either of these two shows. Still Starcrossed based off Beerly Knowles' uh, review. But uh, Mary Kills People, that's a cosign. Do not watch the show. Um, And hopefully Caroline Devanas will get another star vehicle at some point. Because I do want to keep following her career, but yeah. I guess mediocre anti-hero dramas for women is a sign that we're moving in the right direction towards rep- equality of at least white people representation, <laughs> white straight people rep- representation on TV. But yeah, it's hard to get too excited about this one. 
yeah it, it really really is and i can't muster up much enthusiasm and yeah meh. well i can muster up some enthusiasm though for the handmaid's tale jezebel's uh is the episode this week if only because this week uh, i've been looking forward to a to it for a while we get to see more of her back and so we got the trick to the to the brothel basically and and just for me uh like i'm not i'm so much less engaged by the handmaid's tale than i was in the first four it's it's so much less but i still love um what we got with june and moira and and the details of like their interactions and, and this other like I, I still really loved that part of this episode as much as I don't care about the eyes and I don't care about Nick and I don't care about these other perspectives that they are showing us. They have done a really poor job in establishing anyone else. Like Serena Joy maybe, but any other perspectives as being as interesting or as nuanced. Um I don't know. I I, I still was glad for this episode and, and what we got in it, but I'm I'm it's one of the more disappointing flaggings of a season for me in a while if only because for me that first episode i was like telling people run out and get a subscription to hulu you need to see this show and i still think it's very good but yeah it's it's, it's lost so much steam yeah and this decision to do sort of a trio of side flashbacks um it has really weirdly like sucked a lot of momentum out of the show mm-hmm. um you, and but i don't like i i put like a little asterisk by like the serena joy episode which i think is really really good mm-hmm. um but the luke episode like we discussed last week is just bad and then this week just felt weird like i really liked all the stuff in jezebel but and i liked the initial scene of the nick flashback because we suddenly learned more about nick then we learned it in, in, in like two minutes and we learned across the entire hour that we spent with Luke last week, <laughs> which is bad. But then that storyline just drops into like world building ish stuff. And yeah. it's just like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I don't care about the eyes. And so it felt really weird to have this Nick stuff happen in an episode that I was just like, I kind of would have preferred a Moira flashback. Right. To, like, complement all of this. So and, much better. It would have been much right. better. Right. So that's kind of where I landed as much. And then I was also just like, I want to spend time with that aunt that has a James Beard Award for pesto. <laughs> that one, Martha, that's mean? not a th- That Martha, right. Yeah. Because, uh, A, no one gets a James Beard Award for pesto. That's, like, the best fucking pesto ever made. But secondly, <laughs> is, like, she seems really cool. And yeah. I want to spend time with her. Yeah. Um, But... Yeah, it was just it was kind of a, just a flat episode. I was initially really intrigued by what we were going to get with Nick, and then it just kind of didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so, I, yeah, it, it was fine, but it just yeah, I I very much agree that the show's kind of flagged quite a bit. Yeah, and we don't have many episodes left, and I'm I'm really dreading like a Waterford episode. Yeah, I don't want one. <laughs> Because I still don't know what Fines is doing with his kind of halting delivery that he he has. It's just like, Joseph, you are not Jeff Goldblum or William Shatner. Just say the lines like a human being. <laughs> and so I'm really struggling with like his performance of Waterford. And I definitely don't want an episode devoted to him. But we'll we'll see. But it's just, I feel like we're drifting away from June's narrative a lot. Yeah. And I, I don't like that. And I want June to like kind, kind of come back to the forefront. And I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that. And that's that. Yeah, that's where I am with we it. We had we had time for a Luke episode, yeah. and you paid Sam- Samira Wiley for this episode. 
and you don't have time or interest in a Moira episode? Come on! There's nothing we got in the Luke episode that was in any way interesting or different from any other, and we talked about this, any of a number of different, like, chase and fugitive narratives. The entirety of Moira's thing would have been different than what we've seen in other things, if only because of the context of her as a woman. Yeah. It would be a very different experience when she's on the run and, and all these different things. So, like, yeah, I just, come on, The Handmaid's Tale. We know how good you can be. And yeah. you can be real good. So hopefully they pull out some... I mean, it's hard not to look at this uh, flag in these last couple of episodes and say, well, this is why you don't turn a book into an open-ended number of seasons. Yeah, yeah, pretty much is how that's going to work. Yeah, I agree. Anyways, we'll see what happens with the uh, the last couple episodes here. But let's uh, let's let's wrap up the, the weekend drama. What wins your week? You gonna you uh, gonna plead the fifth? I'm. I mean, I really liked Good Behavior, but it was aired last year. But uh, yeah, I'm pleading the fifth. Nothing new this from this year. Well, that's because you don't watch the leftovers, and it's so good. So it's well, definitely the leftovers. The most that's powerful on me. man in the world and his identical twin brother. Because of course, what you don't know, Noel, is that Jesus died. But the thing is, he had an identical twin brother, and nobody knew about them. And so that's what everybody said. That's why everybody said that he had risen from the dead. But really, it's just that he had an identical twin brother. At least that's according to God, who was on a a, a lion sex boat that we met a couple episodes ago. Um, anyways, Leftovers wins the week in drama for me, and I can't wait for their series finale next week. That'll wrap up our week in TV. Now we're going to take a break and come back with our resolution catch-up, our 2017 TV resolutions, and we'll see how we're doing for me on my resolution to watch um, YouTube series and for you, Noel, to watch more anime. We'll be right back after this. Is this your first time at Les Meet? I'm actually covering this for the LA Reader. So listen, I want to write a piece on transgender women. Jerry Springer's been on that for like decades. What about that waitress? Come on, Vi. Never join us. You have some boyfriend that none of us know about? I'm Allie. I'm Violet. Hi. Bye. You are the first trans woman I've ever met. <laughs> that you know of. What, what do you mean? You've probably met women who are trans who just didn't disclose to you. 
I used to broadcast my team, tell my whole history before I even hit the first date. So, tell me everything. Everything. About what? Uh, you. All that ever did was to scare people away. They might have actually liked me. When I'm with a man, I have no doubt about my womanhood. I mean, my body next to theirs is so obviously feminine, but next to say... Let's say me. This whole time, some part of my mind has been noting how much bigger my hands are, or wondering if people are clocking my voice. It's hard to feel totally present with all of that. All I ever wanted was for someone to see me. And then when someone tries, I'm terrified. It never gets easier for girls like us. I don't know what to do. Monsters. This week it's time to do another catch up on our 2017 resolutions and just sort of check in and see how they are going. Again, to remind the listeners, uh, I resolved to watch a different uh, YouTube series each month or each certainly each check-in. Um, I said each month. I'm one behind. Um, Noel, you were going to watch more anime. Um, which anime series are you watching this this quarter or which ones have you been catching up with? Well, I've, I've been kind of slacking off on this, I will admit. Um, there's too much the, TV, okay? There's there, too much. There's a lot of TV. And, like, I picked out, like, four shows that were streaming on Crunchyroll that I was going to watch, and I'm watching one of them. <laughs> and I haven't even started the other three. One of those is, like, The Eccentric Family Season 2, um, based on the fact that I love Season 1. Like, it's a fabulous, wonderful show. But it aired, like, three or four years ago, and I don't remember anything that happened on it. And I haven't had time to go back and watch those 13 episodes again. So I can remember what happens to watch season two. Yeah. Uh, so I've been watching two shows and one of them has been really easy because I've been watching the Adult Swim dub of Attack on Titan. So it's just like, oh, well, this is really easy. I don't even have to read subtitles for this. Score. <laughs> and I've been keeping up on Crunchyroll with a lovely little show called Soccer Request, which I really, really like. Um, so I'll quickly cover um how i'm feeling about attack on titan and then i'll talk much more about soccer request um um i don't like attack on titan i'm like the only person on the face of the planet <laughs> that doesn't like that show um it's bit the first half of season one is the walking dead but with giants mm-hmm. and it's really exhausting there's a lot of yelling uh, the second half is much better as they start to kind of build out the world a little bit but it just wasn't for me. So I was just like, well, it, it's coming on while I have this resolution. So I'll, I'll give it another go, basically. And in part, I think just because I'm not like deeply invested in anything and I don't remember half of these characters um, and where they were. It's just like, this is this is still kind of the same show of like, we're having a bunch of people yell about there being indestructible giants. There's also a giant ape that can talk that's apparently leading these giants that are mindless killing machines now. And that's kind of interesting. But then there's also titans in the walls that they built. How much do you know about this show, by the way? I'm just talking like <laughs> you know anything about no, this. I'm just uh, smiling over here, listeners, because, uh, of course, there all, are all of these things. No, I haven't seen any Attack on Titan, even okay. though I know it's been recommended to me by many people. And something about, yeah. like, partway through the first season, there's, like, this insane episode and a bunch of, you know. Anyways, yeah. you're talking yeah. about season two? Yeah, I'm talking about season two, um, which is also airing concurrently on a couple of streaming sites. Um, they're doing like the dub um, on Adult Swim a little quicker. 
uh, than usual. Um, I think that just to like prevent piracy and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so it's it if you're if you enjoyed Attack on Titan, I imagine that you're enjoying this season and having it back. I'm liking some of the character flashbacks and stuff, but so much of this show for me just is falls into a lot of like traps of like this is really slow for no reason type of thing other than we want to build dread but it's hard i never feel really any dread when watching attack on titan and that i think is the biggest problem i have is that i never feel a sense of dread but that's also the problem i have whenever i would kind of check in on what the walking dead which i think is the most comparable show uh Mm -hmm. just minus the massive amounts of mythology that are built into attack on titan because like there's a whole conspiracy about people who can actually turn into titans kate but then there's also titans in the wall to keep the wall standing i think maybe but the religious order refuses to say anything about it and yet there's just stuff going on and that's kind of how i feel about it um is that it's stuff um luckily though i have soccer requests which i really really like and i think you would really really like too um this deals with a uh young woman who's been trying to find a job in tokyo uh, but she's just been consistently rejected um, for like every job she's applied for. Uh, so she gets a job to work with the tourism board of this little village out in the sticks as their queen, basically. Um, and she assumes it's like for a couple of days, but it's actually for a year. And it becomes this big thing in which they're trying to revitalize this town and doing everything to get people to come back and tourists to come through. So there's all these things of like engage. This was the thing that was happening in like the 70s and 80s in Japan as well for small towns to get government funding had to like define themselves in some way. And this town decided to do it by doing a chupacabra-esque monster (laughs) that looks like a turnip. And it's really fun. It's really awesome. But what ends up happening is like, it's just like, this isn't going to work anymore, but they're still trying to like make it fit. But they're also trying to pick out things that work about this town. So, like, the town has a really long history of woodworking um, that are really beautiful stuff that they're trying to think about. But it's also, like, it takes a really long time to do a panel of woodworking. Mm-hmm. And all, so there's other stuff, like, they decide to have a cooking, competi- uh, cooking competition that goes poorly because there's the board of commerce that is separate from the tourism board that's headed up by the woman who heads up the confectionery store. And she hates the guy who heads up the tourism board. So there's like these local politic things that cause people to butt heads. And when I started watching it, the biggest thing I equated it to was having only watched a handful of episodes across many seasons is like, this is sort of like a anime version of Parks and Recreation in which... That's what I was going to (laughs) say. ...is which everyone wants to do the best things for these towns, but everyone has very different ideas about them and longstanding grudges and this kind of thing. So the woman from Tokyo ends up, like, recruiting a number of folks, including a couple of locals, and one's a detective who didn't make it in... Not a detective, one's an actress who didn't make it on a detective show in that filmed in Tokyo, so she's come back to the hometown. One's another woman who works at the tourism board. One's the daughter of the confectionery store owner. And then another one is a woman who fled Tokyo because she was getting tired of the life and thought that being in the country would be better for her, but she's petrified of bugs and just, (laughs) yeah, all this sort of fun stuff. So there's a lot of like really fun personalities and the most recent episode deals with a, um, whatchamacallit, with a film crew coming in and the possibility of economic um, value of that to the town 
is explored, but then also like they want to burn down an abandoned house and the woman who has been in the town her whole life that works at the tourism board, like basically attempts to sabotage it by saying that she couldn't get permission, but she has a history with the house and everything. So all this stuff of like localness and the local politics and of it all really feed into the narrative. And it's really sweet. It's, it has really solid sense of humor. Kate, there's a town troubadour for Pete's sake. Of course and, there is. Of course there is, yeah, but no. So right. every yeah, so it's really fun. I really enjoy it, and I like I like the politics of it. Like we can make this town really good if we try, basically. Mm. And it's just it's really nice, and I like it a lot. Um, I'm wishing I was better keeping better at my um my resolution for mm-hmm. this uh, check in, but it's uh, I feel like I'm enjoying Quest enough that it's made up for the, by the fact that I didn't watch the other three shows. I kind of put in my queue and just went eventually yeah (laughs) Yeah. well you're doing better than i am because uh we're on now the sixth we're heading into the sixth month so i should Mm -hmm. have seen because we said after clexicon right was when we were starting so technically i mean like we did carmilla and then um then i did catering show and and then this time i'm talking about her story so technically that is three but like that's totally cheap i should i should have seen a couple more youtube series by now um, so I am behind, uh, but I did really enjoy her story, which is, um, or her story, I don't know what the emphasis is supposed to be, but this is a YouTube series, uh, it's a series of six um, episodes, short episodes, it's created and written by Jen Richards and Laura Zach and directed by Sydney Freeland, and it follows a group of, of trans and queer women in, uh, I think it's LA, I assume it's LA, I think it's LA, um, uh, and uh, like they're, they're, they're intersecting lives. They're like, they're, there's a group, some different groups of friends and there's some romantic entanglements and also their different jobs and, and, and just follows their, their lives. And, and it's very short. There's only six episodes that each episode is about like eight to nine minutes long. Uh, I think it's, it's really good. It's well-written. It's well-performed. It's not surprising to me that it was nominated for an Emmy for short, uh, short form comedy or drama series. Um, the performances, I would have to especially, um, single out Angelica Ross, who plays Paige. Uh, I, I thought that performance was, you know, her performance is my favorite, uh, you know, of, of everything that we got. Um, the, the, some of the stuff we got from, um, I, Jen Richards and Laura Zach, who of course are the creators, I thought that they were good, but not as seamless as I would have liked, you know, like I felt like Angelica Ross felt more, in the moment, I guess, I, and okay. and and Jen Richards and Laura Zach felt a little bit more rehearsed in some of their exchanges. But the writing and the the stuff that they're that they're talking about and way the way it's all put together, I think, is really really good. So I would have liked a little bit more sense of spontaneity, maybe in in some of those moments. Um, but when you're, this, it's easy for me to say that sitting here being armchair critic when I'm not trying to make an independent short, you know, like with there's only so much budget, there's only so much time, there's only so much light and permits and, and such. But I, I do think it's, it's the, the, the portrayals of these different characters are, are really well done. I just, like Lisa's the, she's horrible. And I love how horrible that they make her. They do not apologize for how horrible this person is uh, toward, you know, she's, she, she like, consistently misgenders the trans characters. She outs somebody in the newspaper as trans um, because she's going up in a court case against them, um, against, like, their their firm. And, and, like, it's 
she's just horrible, but she's still good friends with one of the leads. And the fact that this main character doesn't cut off her friendship with, you know, so Allie doesn't cut off her friendship with Lisa for doing this, which I feel like on a different show she would, but it feels more honest that, she, you know, that she wouldn't. And, it, and the fact that the show is so unapologetic about how terrible Lisa is, I you know, I think is is great and an important, you know, an important aspect of tension within the LGBTQ community to really discuss. And I feel like that's the kind of thing you don't see most places, certainly. And this is a show. It's like all queer ladies and one dude. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. Oh, two dudes. I should say two dudes. Um, the length of time, I think the, the like eight to nine minutes works really well. It's very well paced. Um, where we drop in and out of the episodes, I really liked as well. And it's certainly way better produced than either of the two um, other ones that I've talked about. So Carmilla or um, the catering show. Yeah. And the, the, the visuals, the direction, the camera work, all of that stuff, it, it, it looks terrific. And, um, so, so yeah, I think I would highly recommend this one to people. And like I said, like, I assumed it was going to be six hour long episodes. I don't know why I thought that. I just figured there's so much story here. Of course they would be like longer, like a more in-depth thing. And what we, we do get a lot of depth with each episode, but it's intended as a short, as a series of shorts. And it does knit together to a whole in a really satisfying way. But you can also just watch one episode, and I think it's satisfying as well. So it, it threads that needle of standalone versus, you know, chapter one, I think, I think very nicely. So, um, yeah, people seek out, seek out her story, seek out uh, the other work. Because I've, I've been following some of these actors. I've seen them in, in several other things. Jen Richards, if nothing else, I I've saw her on um, I Am Kate, where she popped up, you know, as herself, you know, um, and and so it was nice to to see, to to see her act in in this project and some and you know, put some work with her persona and her identity, like or like her activist sort of more personality um, that we because I reality shows I you never know is that them right. is that a thing you know like who knows and and I certainly. I'm like one of the three people I know who watched I Am Kate, mostly thanks to a friend of the show, Caroline Sita. But, um, so yeah, I was glad to see some of these actors and I certainly would love if they would do a season two. And given the, the critical acclaim and, um, the, the awards recognition, at least in nominations for the series, I would, I would not be surprised if they did more and I will definitely be back as well. Um, and you know, it's just, Lovely that this is the kind of show that you can make on YouTube and put out on YouTube now, you know? Um, and again, it's six episodes. They're nine minutes. Listeners, if you watch <laughs> Still Star Crossed, or you watch Mary Kills People, or you watch some of these other episodes of TV that are going on right now, you have time to watch her story. So seek it out. It's easy to find. It's it's uh, really interesting and nuanced and thoughtful and beautiful uh portrayals of the kinds of characters who are not given the opportunity to be themselves and to 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 exist as something other than part of somebody else's story in mainstream um, entertainment so uh, i was very glad to have sought out her story have you have you heard of this one uh i think i heard about it uh shortly uh when it got its emmy uh nom, nom? Mm-hmm. yeah um, but prior to that, I hadn't heard about it. And until you told me about it today, when we were setting up to record, I had kind of like forgotten about it. Yeah. But I remember hearing about it uh, when it got its Emmy nomination. 
Yeah. Well, and certainly when you're looking for queer entertainment, you know, and, right. and, and series and stuff, which is something that I was, that was my resolution last year was to watch more um, series centered on the perspectives of, of marginalized people. Um, this is the kind of thing that would have been perfect for me to watch that last year, but I hadn't right. heard of it and I hadn't sought it out. So I'm very glad to have sought this one out. Um, hopefully I, will, I, and then now I am familiar with more of these people. Like I will be following Angelica Ross's career. I will be following Jen Richards career and, and some of these other actors as well. Um, and certainly the, the writing as well. So, so I'm, I'm glad you have been introduced to these creatives and to see what they do next. Cool. Yeah. My next one I'm going to do because like five different people told me I need to watch it is the Lizzie Bennett diaries. Yeah. <laughs> so uh do you know do you have an idea of what you'll be where you'll be at what shows you'll be looking into for next time or are you just gonna see what comes up uh i'm gonna see what comes up we're like s- sort of approaching the end of the spring season mm-hmm. um so summer season will be starting probably in like what week is this i think this is like week eight or nine mm-hmm. so they'll be done in like another three or four weeks for the spring um so by july it's summer season basically yeah. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Um, maybe I'll have watched the centric family season two by then. Uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be, I'm trying to do like current shows, um, mainly because those are easier to get access to legally. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see what I do next, but, um, I haven't even looked at the summer chart yet at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm not quite sure. Um, but I'll, I'll look at that tonight and try to figure okay. it out because the summer chart should be out. Quick ranking of all of your resolution shows so far. Oh, wow. Um, I got petered out a little bit, but I still think it's probably the best one I've watched so far. Um, I think Soccer Request will be, like, number two. Mm-hmm. And then Interviews with Monster Girls will be number three. And then um, Siren will be right after that. And Attack on Titans will be at the bottom because I just find it really boring um so yeah i think that's where i am is like i've watched four shows i should have been watching a lot more but yeah so that's where about where i am how would you rank your three that you've done so far um i think are, are, we, I, are we counting carmilla i don't I'm, think we should i'm count counting Car- i'm counting carmilla otherwise it's too sad i'm counting carmilla <laughs> and I'm, I'm gonna put that as as number one for okay. me um i mean it's like there's just so much more of it and it's 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 genre so, like, because I kind of feel bad because I feel like her story should be number one, just because in so many ways, production ways, it's better. You know, it's like better made. But mm-hmm. I like, and I care about the characters on both of them, and I think the 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 performances and the and the writing and and the direct like this sense of humor. There's a good sense of humor in both of them as well, and they also both deal with some pretty heavy stuff from time to time as well so it's like i'm torn but i'm, I'm gonna give it to carmilla and then right right under that her story and then down again away before the catering show which still did have things that i enjoyed but uh, i'm gonna put that lower down in number three and then we'll see where lizzie bennett uh, ends up falling in all of that so a few show notes here at the end of the episode you can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org which is the website for the podcast you can email us theteleverse at gmail.com you can also reach out on facebook like the page and start up a conversation there you can also of course uh find us on itunes with an m4a chaptered feed and mp3 unchaptered feed and we're also on stitcher where and you can rate and review us on itunes and on stitcher we'd appreciate it very much and then of course we're both on twitter i'm at the televerse and noel you are at noel rk and I have Veep reviews going up at the AV Club for the next couple of weeks, but not this week, because Veep is off due to the combination of a longer 
I think it's a longer episode of The Leftovers. And so, oh, the, okay. so they, for the finale. So, so that means I will be able to actually watch Leftovers live and, and respond on Twitter. It's going to be so fun. Um, anyway, so that'll, but I will have a few more Veep reviews going up. Um, in a couple weeks over at the AV Club. Thank you, as always, Noel, for, <laughs> for, for for powering through some of these shows and getting me to watch others that I should have a while ago. I always appreciate it. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Just <laughs> messing with me. That's good. Time. Yep, I am. Good anyway, time. go on. That's cool. I won't do it again. I promise. You totally will. That's okay. I I'm not that going to. I, I, I swear. Okay. I'm not. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick, who's enjoying messing with me this fine day. Noel, how's it going over there?